Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And today we are joined by a very special guest, as well as friend of the show. He is a very powerful man, one who has screamed a lot with us at basketball games, as well as covering a great deal of basketball games in his own right. A very knowledgeable person who's been in the K-State media sphere for a little bit of time. Everyone, please put your hands together for Nathan and Sarah. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I've just been watching basketball all day. It's a snow day, which is great. Yep. Yeah, the the rare two snow days we've had in 87 years. I was gonna say I think two of the three snow days that we've had since I've been at K-State have been in like the last like three weeks. So <laughs> I walked out of class yesterday and uh, one of my, one of my classmates, cause this was after they'd already canceled for, for today. Um, one of my classmates goes, uh, wow, I really like this new president. <laughs> hey man. My understanding Here's... of the situation is it's actually the provost and not the president that makes that call, but whatever, you can blame the president. Huh. I'm to blame or give him credit, I guess, in this case. Yeah. But uh, why don't you, why don't you tell us a bit, a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, so I have been with the Collegian for five years now, which is weird to say. Most people, you know, are, are three or, or four at most, but I, uh, I got my undergraduate degree and I went right into my master's because I graduated right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, <laughs> the school was going to pay for me to do my master's and pay me to do my master's, um, which is great. Um, so I'm a graduate teaching assistant. Um, which basically means that I do a lot of grading and I substitute teach sometimes. Um, and I'm assigned to three different classes within the, uh, the school of journalism and uh, strategic communications specifically. Uh, my undergrad degree was in PR um, and I have covered almost every sport I think that we have at K-State for the Collegian in some capacity. Um, I have like, I checked earlier today, I have like 381 articles over the last five years. Um, and all but one of them have been sports. What was the one that wasn't? Um, it was a class for the news and feature writing course. Um, uh, there was, a, okay. was an article I wrote news and feature writing about a professor who is, I think he's in the philosophy department um, or was, I'm not sure if he's still around. This was six years ago. Um, but he was, he was writing a piece of, of research or, um, I guess of like argumentation because it's philosophy department, um, about the use of the term food porn and like the fetishization <laughs> of food. Um, yeah. Welcome. Welcome next episode 69, everybody. Welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, uh, so I think he's still around. He was an assistant coach on the debate team, um, but he okay. was also my speech teacher at the time. So that's my one non-sports article, but everything else has been sports. Um, I've covered three, season of, three seasons of men's basketball across the five years and all five seasons of women's basketball across the five years. Um, if you follow the women's basketball team closely, my first season was Shaylin Martin's last season. Um, so Shaylin Martin, Kayla Goff, Peyton Williams are all folks that I've gotten to cover as well as the, obviously the folks that are on the team now. 
That's awesome. So now that now that everyone knows who you are, which by the way, follow him on Twitter. He makes excellent tweets as well as live tweeting several games. But now let's just get into the let's just get into the meat of the episode. And the first thing that we have to talk about is the news that broke earlier today, and that is the news about I suppose former at this case men's basketball head coach Bruce Weber. He resigned earlier today, I believe around 10 o'clock this morning. It was like 10, 10.30. Yeah. But luckily for him, before we get into discussing our thoughts about it, Bruce Weber has been a class act about it. And he had probably the most wholesome statement that I've ever seen in regards to like, I have two jobs lined up already. And that's to be a very loving husband and a loving grandfather to my four very active grandchildren. Like, I'm sorry, how can you hate this man? <laughs> Like, but other than that, what are, what are your general thoughts on his resignation? Then we'll give ours because guess yeah. first hospitality. <laughs> uh, well, so I wrote, I wrote a column about this uh, last night, but I kind of, I think that it's, it's correct to have a nuanced opinion on, on Bruce Weber. Like anyone who just absolutely loves him and thinks he's infallible is wrong, but there's a lot of folks that, have just hated him from the start. And I, I feel like they didn't enjoy uh, any of the success that he had at K-State because it was Bruce and because his name wasn't Frank Martin um, or wasn't Brad Underwood. And I've been very critical of Bruce over the years. Um, I actually wrote part of and then ultimately scrapped an article um, that was saying that we should fire him uh, several years ago. This was the ask Fran game um, in, in Allen field house. I think that was the game where Barry Brown threw up a last second shot. That wasn't, wasn't a very good um, play. I think that's the same game. And then he was upset about a call and he said, ask Fran and then like stormed out of the press conference. And I was like, that is embarrassing. Um, And so I've been critical of Bruce, um, but on the whole, he's the most accomplished coach we've had since Jack Hartman, um, who retired in 1986. Um, and so you got to give the guy credit for that. And I think that um, I think that it was probably time for for the program and the coach to part ways. But I also think that it was uh, it's sad. I mean, I I feel bad for the guy, and I hope that whatever he winds up doing next, he's super successful and happy doing. Which, like we said, he's right now. It seems like his focus is going to be just being a uh, being there for his family. Which, all the respect in the world to him for doing that, and he, everyone knows he's he's earned it in that regard. Yeah. In regards to my thoughts, at least, I am both happy that he's gone and unhappy that he's gone, because when it comes to coaching on the courts he never impressed me, but when it comes to off the field, he's one of those very few coaches in college football or not college football in college sports in general, that I was thinking of climbing would be another one that I would genuinely want to sit down and have a conversation with independent of whatever they coached. I think Bruce Weber has been nothing short of, an amazing person while he's been at K-State. 
And he's been the epitome of everything K-State espouses when it comes to the idea of it being a family. But a tough part about family is you have to, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions. And Bruce made that decision that the on the court product was suffering or that it wasn't going anywhere with him and decided that it was time. And I I'll miss him. I will miss his press conferences. Even if a lot of, sometimes I'm laughing at his expense, it's I'll miss it. And, you know, I just hope that whatever he does, he does to the best of his ability. Yeah. You're, I'd say that I fall pretty cleanly within the boundaries that Nathan set up. I'd say I have a very nuanced opinion of Bruce because his uh, hiring, Bruce's hiring, that's kind of the first coaching hire that I was old enough to really be aware of. Like when I was younger, like Jim Boulder's coach and then Bob Huggins was, and then Frank Martin was, and they just kind of were the coaches and just kind of materialized on the basketball court and then left when the game was over. But Bruce was like the first coach where I was really able to like, kind of like hear the rumors that he like might be the coach. I didn't really know what that meant because <laughs> I was like 13, but he uh, ended up being hired. And I just remember like an onslaught of like criticism, you know, people saying, Oh, we should give him a chance. And then a whole lot of people saying, this is the worst decision that's ever been made. John Curry hates K-State. Bruce Weber sucks, like whatever it may be. And it was very strange uh, for me because I was like, this guy's not coached a single game before. I was like, let's give him a shot. Then he won a Big 12 title that year, went to the NCAA tournament the next year, then had some rough seasons and uh, then kind of came back, had that nice run there with uh, Dean Barry Cam in the Elite Eight and Big 12 title. I still don't think we saw the pinnacle of what those teams could achieve with Dean being hurt in the postseason, but I, I definitely fall in a nuanced view of Bruce because even with like a lot of that good uh, growing up with some of those great moments, like the Kentucky win in the sweet 16 is one of my favorite K-State memories. And uh, there was a lot of bad in there as well. And, and that, that was just Bruce Weber's tenure. There was give and take with everything. And I kind of, I've come to peace with that. I guess I, I am very appreciative of the Big 12 titles, the Elite Eight run, and the fun players that we got to see. I like guys like uh, Wessa Wundu, uh, Barry Brown, uh, DJ Johnson, Thomas Gibson were two of my favorites uh, when I was younger. And I don't know, just I, I am sad to see him go, but I also am very aware that it is time, maybe even past time for him to be gone. I think we're all pretty much in agreement that you know like we can respect what he did and not you know grave dance on this man for resigning and having kind of a rough end of his career yeah which leads to the next question of what are what are your thoughts on the fan reaction to and i'm talking both sides of it the which you know exactly what I mean by both sides. What are what's your response to that? I mean, I have never disliked K State fans as a group more than the last probably eighteen hours. Um, I've been really disappointed. Um, everything from the bye bye Bruce sign um, at the game to the fans' reaction and even 
certain media members reaction to uh, some of the stuff that Bruce said in his, uh, in his press conference. And it's just, it's tough because I think that um, you kind of mentioned uh, Connor a little bit earlier about the fans, like having a bad reaction to Bruce when, when he got hired. And I think that a lot of fans had the same reaction to Kleiman. And I think that both of those coaches could win multiple big 12 titles. I mean, obviously uh, Bruce did, and it still didn't win over the fan base. And I think that the same thing could happen to Kleiman. I think that a lot of folks for some reason decided they didn't like Bruce the day he was hired because he wasn't Frank Martin and he wasn't Doug Gottlieb and they were never going to give him a shot. And that's really sad. Um, and I think that it really came out really bad, especially on Twitter and Reddit um, over the last God, the hellscape that is Reddit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Reddit, but, and usually, usually the sports fans on Reddit are pretty chill, but the, the Bruce Weber resigns thread was a tough read. Um, Cause there were a lot of folks grave dancing, a lot of KU fans taking their shots, which like, I mean, I'd be taking my shots too, but. Fair and like being fair. Yeah, you yeah. and I would both do the same, but it's just not fun when it's when you're the one receiving. Yeah, it's like um, you know, I've made fun of Bruce on Reddit and on Twitter before. Um, and but it's kind of like uh your little brother. It's like we can make fun of him and we can make fun of the Pete the Cat and the bamboo and him with the Gucci main book. Like we can make fun of all of that, but if somebody else makes fun of it. Like we're oh, not okay. <laughs> the Gucci main book was cool. Nice. <laughs> that whole photo shoot completely redeemed any of the bad years of, of uh, Bruce basketball. The eating eating cereal out of yeah. the Big Bowl championship trophy. Yeah, that's goaded. <laughs> was that Austin Trice at Reptile World? If I, as I recall, I think it was Austin Trice. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's another thought I have on Bruce. It's just like, it feels like we never really had a good big man, um, at least since DJ. Um, And that was a major issue with the team every year. You know, you had Dean who was a stretch four, but other than that, you didn't have a huge big man. That was like good. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say honestly the closest. Yeah. yeah, They didn't have somebody that you could just feed. Or you could count on to rebound really well. Or you could count on to stop a David McCormick type. Um, they just never really had that. Yeah. Closest they ever got really was probably McCall Mayween. <laughs> like, looking back. <laughs> In the Sprint Center, baby. Yeah. He, he will always have that 30-point game against KU. <laughs> so, I, I'm going to admit that coming into um, – doing the collegiate stuff. Uh, I didn't know a lot about basketball. Like I'm definitely kind of a football first person. Uh, McCall Moline was the first time I ever noticed a big using his body to create space for a driving guard. And I thought that that was revolutionary. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, it was pointed out to me that the, that was not a revolutionary discovery, but I saw him like screening off the big so that I don't remember who the guard was could could get down the lane and I was like that's so cool and then uh yeah Yeah. you know what I had a similar uh revelation because I'm a football guy first 
And I saw McCall Wing do that in a game. And I did it in an intramural game one time it's <laughs> a create space for like one of my friends who was driving and I did it like five times in the game. The guy I was doing it to was just, he nearly got teed up for complaining for a moving screen. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm, I am just boxing you out. Just boxing you out. I don't know what you're talking go, about. Go around me. Yeah. <laughs> this bothers you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, the fan reaction has been, obviously you have the, the more reasonable people, but I just, I, every single time that something like this happens, I have to go back and look at the tweet that I made like a month and a half ago, just saying, I see we've reached the point of the season where the worst enemy of emo Twitter is also emo Twitter. And that's just happening. I yeah. feel like it, it reached apocalyptic Chernobyl meltdown levels within the past like 24 hours yeah, and so much so that it was leaking into the real world. And we had to just send in a quarantine team, which ironically, you know, just wouldn't have done anything, but yeah, the fan reaction, I, I, I agree with you in that I've never disliked the K-State fan base as a collective more than I had in the last 18 hours. And I'm not sure it's been close, Connor. Um, yeah, I think I'd probably fall in the same vein. Mainly because it's just very frustrating to see, like, just the constant infighting during basketball season. Because this is, it's been getting worse every single year for the last several years. Even when we were playing well, when we were winning the Big 12 title, there were still arguments about if Bruce should be the coach or not. I mean, we literally, like, cut down the nets against OU and people were like, I don't know. (laughs) Might be trash. So, you know what? It, you're you're allowed to enjoy yourself like you you can enjoy the team winning even if you don't like the coach <laughs> like like there were like times that frank martin got on my nerves when i was a kid i was like you know he kind of yeah, seems kind of mean sometimes you know, like, like eight-year-old connor was a little concerned about how nice he was to the players but you know what the cats were winning and that made me even happier than anything he could have done so but the fan reaction has been i i've been really sad with how it's been there there's been i, I like I, I get the point that there might be fan bases that are worse and that there's a lot of fan bases that act the way that we are but just because other fan bases the OUs the Texases the Miamis of the world are going to act up on Twitter that doesn't mean that we should do it <laughs> like we, maybe we should hold ourselves to a higher standard than the t-shirt fan base blue bloods that don't really have standards for themselves. Uh, it's, it's okay to be happy that we're moving on while also not grave dancing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's a great dancing, but we were, we were kind of talking about that in uh, the, we have a collegiate sports uh, group chat. We were kind of talking about that last night and today that like, where K-State's athletics department is in comparison to its resources is an absolute dub. Like we are, I'm pretty sure the smallest public P5 by enrollment. Mm-hmm. We have a pretty small um, athletic budget when it's all said and done. And we are top half of the big 12 in football consistently. Usually good at good enough at basketball to be on the bubble women's basketball has been up and down baseball is finally turning a corner and the rest of the non-rep volleyball has been 
pretty good, pretty consistently for as long as Susie Fritz has been around. And the rest of the non-revenue sports are either good or not embarrassing. Um, like yeah. in my college career, we have a pair of, of track big 12 titles. And it's like, yeah. that's, that's an absolute dub compared to kind of what we have to work for, uh, work with because T Boone Pickens is not walking through that door and dropping $12 billion on our athletics budget. Right. That'll be us whenever we, yeah, yeah, the world. yeah. Once the ad, once our ad rev finally hits our bank account, <laughs> it's it's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're thinking about setting up a bake sale to um, fund Brad Underwood's buyout. So. Is it is it Raycon this week? Is it Raycon? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When the when the Raycon check hits, yeah, you got, you got the buyout. <laughs> I mean, you you had the idea of selling Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, dude. The Goema guys should be selling Girl Scout cookies. Let's get John Curry to write a memoir. <laughs> yeah. we can get bill to write another book and just give all the proceeds to the ad i'd rather just give up it's like whatever 250k is making a year <laughs> yeah so not 250k a year <laughs> yeah so give that with, man whatever he wants yeah he's earned it with with the fact that bruce is gone out of the way we'll, we'll have two questions here if you could pick anyone to be the next head coach of Kansas State men's basketball, who would it be? We're going to be do- be doing both real unrealistic and realistic. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, let's do unrealistic. Let's get the fun one out of the way. Okay, who who are you hiring? Ad and Sarah. Oh wait, unre- I can have anyone I want. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? I want Scott Drew. Want Scott Drew? Yeah, I want Scott Drew. I agree with you. Um, give me, yeah. I mean, I like the guy as a coach and I like the guy as a person. I think he does it the right way. You know, you're not going to have the FBI breathing down your neck. Um, so, yeah, give me Scott Drew. Scott Drew is hard to beat and an unrealistic because he's pretty much just like the ultimate version of Bruce Weber and that and the way that he like runs his program and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, that's what I want. Yeah. Like, like that's he's like pretty much the perfect K-State coach like, in that regard. But obviously, like he's not leaving his situation anytime soon. No. But that's why this is unrealistic. I would love to have Scott Drew. He'd be awesome. Yeah. Now let's let's talk more realistically here. There have been a couple of names who have popped up. And of course, well, we'll, we'll we all know the names. Underwood, the current uh, Illinois head coach, then McMahon, who's Murray State. Yep. Uh, the Baylor assistant, Drum Tang. Drum Tang. And then who's the North Texas head coach? That's Grant McCaslin. Grant McCaslin. Those are all realistic names that have, in air quotes, that have popped up. So it, unless you're going to come out with a wild card answer, who are you hiring realistically? All right. I'll give you one of those names and then I'll give you a, um, a wild card name. Okay. Awesome. All right. So I want McClass- McClassland from, from North Texas. I'm watching their game right now. Almost halftime. They're up 35 to 15 on rice. Um, so I was, uh, my cousin is a big Arkansas fan and he texted me this morning uh, when he heard the Bruce news and he was like, who are you going to get? And I was like, well, uh, everybody's kind of talking about this North Texas coach. And he was like, Oh, McClasslin. apparently, uh, Musselman, the coach over at uh, at Arkansas, is one of uh, is one of his mentors, 
Um, and then, so, so if, if he plays, if his teams play at all, like Arkansas plays, just the way that the, how hard they play on both ends of the court, the kind of analytics driven uh, next century basketball. I want every bit of that. And I want, I want that so bad. He's a former Scott Drew assistant and a Scott Drew player. I want every ounce of that. Give me that man. Um, A kind of off the wall name is the uh, Missouri state head coach. I think his last name is Ford. Could be fun. Um, I don't know. Could be fun. <laughs> um, and then Ben Jacobson at UNI, I think, is a realistic one, just given who Gene Taylor is and and kind of his uh, his history and who he's familiar and comfortable with. I could see the UNI coach Ben Jacobson being uh, uh, getting a call. Well, you can go. You can go first with the realistic. Realistic. Um... The way things are developing, I Underwood is less unrealistic than he was 24 hours ago. And uh, I, I still don't know if I'd quite qualify him as realistic, but he's really getting there. But I, I am, though, in complete agreement with the strategy that you at the very least call Brad, uh, make him say no, if nothing else, but have your money in order before you do it. And if he says no, then you go immediately to Grant McCaslin and just absolutely beg <laughs> because uh, I don't know a ton about him other than he has unbelievably efficient teams at North Texas offensively. And you are right. They're very analytics driven at North Texas. They're, they're a heavy analytics team down there. They're like 25 and four or something like that this year. Everywhere McCaslin goes, they get better pretty consistently. Like, I think it was Arkansas Little Rock. He went in, they were like 12 and 20 the year before. Then he gets there and they go like 21 and 11 or something. And then he leaves the next year and they go back to like well below 500 the following season. There's a pretty clear path of success where McCaslin goes. And he's also a younger guy. Brad Underwood is 58 right now. He'd be 59, uh, like halfway during next season. Uh, McCaslin, I believe, is in his mid 40s right now. So still a very young guy. Not that Brad Underwood is not energetic. He has a lot of energy, <laughs> but McCaslin is still a younger guy. So you, if you want a guy to buckle down for the long haul, Grant McCaslin in North Texas is a great option. I also like Nico Medved at uh, Colorado State. Uh, kind of similar uh, in that he's a modern ball coach, and Colorado State has been getting better very consistently since he got there. He inherited a pretty difficult situation there, but I do like him. Off the wall name that I've heard, tossed around a little bit is a uh, gosh chris mack i think he just got fired at louisville or whatever <laughs> like, like he <laughs> yeah i i don't want him but i, I just because i honestly i don't have like a great sleeper wild card name right now i'm just waiting for like things to surface at this point but you know, i just thought it was funny that uh his name was getting thrown around because i was like there's a near zero percent chance that gene taylor would hire him i think he just as soon leave the, the position vacant than hire chris mack <laughs> You put Shane Southwell. You do what Jacob Bowen wants and have Shane Southwell step up before. Yeah, he probably would. What did you say, Nate? He'd let Jeff Mitty coach both teams before he would hire. <laughs> I'd be morbidly curious to see what that would look like. <laughs> Recruiting would get better. Jack Hartman coached both teams. He did. Not, he not did. Back time. But when the women's basketball coach resigned, after he had retired, the women's basketball coach 
got fired slash resigned because of NCAA violations. And he stepped up and coached the last seven games of the season. Which is awesome. They went three and four. <laughs> <laughs> three and four, but he did it. All things considered, that's about as good as you can expect, given this situation. Hey, good on him, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe maybe they can coax Long Kruger out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was just in Manhattan. That's surely not a coincidence. Maybe not left yet. <laughs> Long Kruger is a assistant on his son's team, I think, at UNLV now. But yeah, he was just in Manhattan. Um, I was talking to uh, Steve Smethers. Um, for, for those of you who aren't JMC students, he's uh, an institution um, in, in JMC. And he is the uh, he is retiring, but he is like the interim dean of the program right now, I think. Um, he's also my uh, major professor for my master's. So he's coaching me through my, my thesis. And so I was hanging out with him on uh, our normal Tuesday morning meetings. And he goes, man, you would have loved kites. All the old guys that like from the, the 80s basketball teams were back. And it was awesome because um, he goes down to, to kites like every Friday night, basically. As I say, I saw Smithers one time uh, back when like he hurt his foot. Remember uh, yep. he like fell down some stairs and like, broke his ankle or something? Yep. He, uh, yeah, he uh, was down at Kites watching K-State versus Oklahoma State, I remember, and he was just having a grand old time. <laughs> so well, he told us our freshman year that um, he had a a booth at Kites, or a, a stool at the bar at Kites. Um, that side of the bar is closed now, but he would always go and, and sit there for away games. And then he wandered through our tailgate, my parents' tailgate before a football game one time. Because um, we were tailgating between his his house and the football stadium, so he wandered through. That was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> as for who I would want as the new head coach, honestly, my top name is still Underwood, just because I've seen him directly have success as a head coach at the Power Five level, and that's that's really where it begins and ends with me. Then again. I might be stupid when it comes to, to college basketball. In fact, I am verifiably stupid when it comes to college basketball. So maybe my opinions take it with a grain of salt, but Underwood would be my first choice, followed by McMahon, followed by – I keep wanting to call him McCaskill, but that's a senator from Missouri. That's a McCasland. McCasland, not Claire McCaskill. It's McCasland. Hey. Then followed by the Baylor assistant. Another, <laughs> another person Gene would rather have than Chris Mack. <laughs> That's true. We're just adding to this long list of people to hire <laughs> and not name Chris Mack. <laughs> but yeah. So that pretty much ends the talk about the men's basketball coaching. Now let's shift into if uh, if the cats were still in it, we'd be talking about the, the men's tournament. But uh, I don't want to talk about what's left. <laughs> so executive decision made. We're moving on to the women's catskiball team and a team that, as to this point, has both been the best and the worst team that has currently been playing this winter season. And it really all depends on where they're playing. They're playing in Kansas City for the tournament at Municipal Auditorium. So maybe the home, the home juices get flowing there. But they play Texas on Friday at 7:30. And you know, how do you 
this is a team that we lost to both times we played them. Granted, at home, it was considerably closer. And their strategy is, wait a minute, we have like three people who actually match up with Ioka Lee and can do three quarters of what we need them to do. But since we have three of them, we can just throw bodies at her until they foul out, which is a legit strategy. Yeah. But, you know, how do you how do you feel about this matchup going into their matchup in Kansas City? Well, I think that Texas, I, listen, I know they finished third in the Big 12. I think that they are the team that is best built for a deep tournament run in the league. And here's why. They don't rely on streaky shooters or being able to overpower opponents, right? That's that's Baylor, that's Iowa State and Baylor, respectively. Like Iowa State is going to outshoot you. And Baylor is going to overpower you with eight girls that are bigger than your biggest girl. Texas, it's like watching those really good Bob Huggins teams where they their thing is we're going to hold you below 50 points and we're going to score 55 every game. Uh, they have one of, if not the best defenses in the league, um, which is – Sorry, I'm pulling up stats, which is really uh, kind of saying saying something. Um, sorry, they have the best defense in the Big 12. They have one of the best defenses in the country. Um, and so they I mean, they are going to shut you down. And so it's, it's terrifying, and that's why I think that they could win the Big 12 tournament. But I also think that they will go the furthest in the, uh, the NCAA tournament. So I don't give the I don't give uh, the Midi Cats a a huge likelihood of victory tomorrow night. So, with that dose of optimism out of the way, <laughs> let's let's get some actual optimism. If we are to beat Texas, say say tomorrow we we wake up and we we feel dangerous. What happens that allows us to beat Texas in Kansas City? Someone besides Ioka Lee gets going, I think. Um, I'm looking at the stats right now, and that loss at Texas, that 66-48 to 48 loss at Texas, Yoki still had 20 points. Um, when we played them in Kansas City, or we played them in Manhattan, sorry, um, lost 62-51. to 51. Sundell led the team with 16 points. I think you need those types of nights from both players. And then I think you need one other player in double figures. You because um, Ace, you were you were kind of right in that they are going to double and triple team Lee, and they're going to press up and down the court for forty minutes. And so what you need to do is you need somebody who's hitting shots to take some of that pressure off. Um, the worst games that K State has had this year have been games where teams have been able to pack the lane. And so um, when a team like Texas Tech, for example, in, in Lubbock has a girl behind Lee, a girl in front of Lee and good ball pressure, they are, it, it's really dangerous. It's really hard for K-State to score. Um, and that's what Texas is going to try to do. And then they're going to be physical with Lee when she tries to score or when she does get the ball. So what we're going, what, what they're going to need is um, shooting to kind of draw that, uh, that I guess defender that's in deny away from Lee and out of the paint, draw that extra defender away. And then it'd be really helpful if they got a quick whistle 
Um, because I think that if Lee is able to turn around and take shots relatively un, unobstructed and get to the line, they got a really good shot. And so I think that they need um, a better than average performance from Lee and somewhere in the 15 range from Sundell or Glenn, and then somebody else to put in around 10. Um, and then they need to not get out rebounded by, I think they were out rebounded by like 21 in Manhattan by Texas. And I know Texas got a 21 more shots than K-State did. That can't happen. That's, that's not a recipe for success, no matter who you're playing. Yeah. So if you could, I know this is a, this is a, you, you mentioned it, that it's going to be Yoki and Sundell would be the, the two names to expect. Is there a third that comes to your mind that you think has a chance to maybe step in and find a spark to where there'll be a, a more consistent shooter, maybe just getting that 10 points that would put us over the edge? I really liked what I saw from Laura Mackey a couple of games ago. Um, I, I'm not expecting her to I, – I, I think Briley or Jalen Glenn are more likely to chip in at those points. But – I would be remiss if I didn't say that Laura Mackey had an excellent game when she was the player that, um, that they decided not to guard. Um, so the, it was the girl that was supposed to be guarding her was the second girl on Lee and Mackey was draining mid range shots. She hit a big three um, in that game and she was getting to the basket. So somebody like her or, or uh, Ebert, um, again, getting to the basket, maybe making a couple of threes um, would go a long way towards making it the type of game where they have a chance to win at the end. Yeah. Do you do you have a, a pick for who that, that third person is going to be, Connor? I honestly was going to say Mackie. Uh, I mainly like her as that option just because Texas, the second player they're going to be bringing to guard, Lee is probably also going to be a post, probably the four. And that would ideally free up Laura Mackey or Emily Everett. So I think they are the, the, the obvious choice there, but it just relies on uh, either of them or both of them having solid nights. I mean, you could get like Laura Mackey at like 17 against OU. I think uh, Ebert has had solid games this year. If you could get a 15 point performance from one of them, or if you could get eight out of both of them, that would be a lot. E- that'd be a lot easier sell. I think eight from Mackey, eight from Abbott. So yeah, I'm going with a difference. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ace. (laughs) I'm going with a different split of eight and I'm going to go with the Glenn twins. I think the Glenn twins will end up splitting eight if we win this game, which hopefully (laughs) I could see it. Um, And the uh, Connor and I were talking about the same game. It was the Oklahoma game where Laura Mackey played 28 minutes and had 17 points. Um, they, and they Is she lost. the leading scorer? Uh, I think it was Sundell that game. She had no, like 25, Sundell had 24 on 9 oh, of 16 gosh. shooting. She drilled 5 of 9 three-pointers. But Laura I had think she might be big, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laura had that big three uh, at the end of the game to tie it, and then uh, oh, Robertson yeah. just went down, and and you can't you can't give her an inch, and she was able to come off of two screens and get enough room. Um, and she's yeah. an inhumanly good shooter. Yeah, that was the uh, same day as the Iowa State game, I believe. Yeah, it was. We, yeah, we that were was at Kites. Oh, Tanners. Tanners. 
Yeah, there was that they had the women's game on like one teeny tiny screen, like off to the side of the bar. I think we were the I think we were the only people out of like the hundred people that were there that were watching it. <laughs> there was like a woman at the bar who yeah. was like passively interested. Yeah, there was like no reaction save for me and Ace being like, ah, like when the shot went at the end. That was another painful road loss, which yeah. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of those kinds of games. Yeah. Yeah, which is why you have to hope that neutral site equates to home for the Midi Cats now, especially that's in Kansas City. But speaking of locations of where they're going to be playing, regardless of what happens tomorrow at 730 against Texas, barring some NCAA violation, the Midi Cats are going to be in the NCAA tournament. So what do you think will, with or without a win with Texas, against Texas, what do you think their likely seed is and where do you think they're going to be playing? So I think a loss to Texas pretty much locks them into the 8-9 line. Um, And the last that I saw, that meant, oh, what did Cream have them? Um, I know it was the Spokane region, which is definitely less fun for K-State fans because there is a Wichita region. Um, But I think a win over Texas potentially jumps them up to a seven seed, which uh, is is better, um, more likely for a deep run than an eight, nine. An eight, nine is basically a death sentence in the, in the women's tournament, just because of the lack of parity and how good the top six or seven teams in the country are and how much better they are than even teams 20 through 25 are. Um, but I think that, so I think that they're, they're looking at a win against Texas could be enough to bump them up a seed line. I think. Um, and I also think that the Charlie cream, which is really the only um, bracketology women's bracketologist from like a big brand. He's, he's the ESPN bracketologist. Um, I think that he is a little low on the cats compared to where they have been with, with net um, and their, their kind of resume. So I could see the cats sliding onto a seven line. That, that would be huge. Yeah, if they, can, if they end up in a seven because an eight or nine, like like you said, I mean, like they're they're screwed. Once if they make it past the eight nine, they're going to face a buzzsaw team. The and you're going to face a South Carolina, a UConn, a North Carolina State. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> so hopefully they slide up to that seven. That uh, might buy them a little extra time out in the tournament. Especially hopefully they can get into the Wichita Regional. Yeah. So. The really good news about that whole thing is that since they've played uh, NC State and South Carolina already, if those two teams are one seeds, it's unlikely that they end up on the 8-9 line in either of their regions. Because um, I think they are going they would avoid having a rematch in the second round. Well, that's good. <laughs> that is very beneficial. That's, that's some intelligent I, scheduling. I think that's how the NCAA uh, does their seeding. Well, let's hope. <laughs> I, I really hope so because I don't want to face South Carolina and C State again. So yeah, well, I don't, I don't like that, honestly. So, say for both scenarios, how far, what do you think? Do you think this team has the legs under them to make a tournament run? Not saying win it all, not even saying Final Four, Elite Eight. Do you think they could make a decent run in the tournament? I think so. Um, I think as long as they as long as they avoid the eight nine line, um, I think that they'll be playing teams 
that haven't seen Lee yet. Right. It's, it's not like uh, they're playing Oklahoma for a fourth time and Oklahoma is uh, knows exactly what to do to guard her um, or Kansas. The second time they played Kansas, Kansas knew exactly what to do to guard her and disrupt her. Um, and so I think that it's, it's possible that they, if, if they get shooting um, and they can alleviate a little bit of pressure on Lee, I could see them in this week 16 um, from the seven line, not from the eight, nine line. Potentially even from the 10 line, 10, seven. I, I could see that. Um, but again, there's just so little parity in women's basketball that it's, it's hard to predict beyond anything um, else besides chalk. Yeah. That's pretty much all we have. Do you have any, you have anything else you want to add? Just, you can say anything about anything that you want. Just the floor is yours. Shout yourself out. Let people know where to know. Let people know where to follow you on Twitter. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's start with that. So you all can follow me on Twitter um, at it's my, so this is my second Twitter account because my first Twitter account got hacked and I didn't have access to the email address. Um, but it's at E N S E R R O N A T H A N. It's my last name and then my first name. Um, and I've got 220 followers right now and I'd like to see that number jump. So Alley Cat Nation, <laughs> let's do this. Alley Cat uh, Nation. I think everyone that listens to us probably follows you already. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'll make a hundred alts for you. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your mom to follow me. She can follow along with the cats. I, I tweet friendly things. I, I don't curse on Twitter. Your mom will like following me. Um, and then the other thing is I, uh, I really, really have loved covering the women's basketball team over the last five years. And I told uh, Coach Mitty this after the last home game because I wasn't sure if I'd get to see them in Kansas City. I'm planning on being um, in in Kansas City uh, tomorrow night, but I wanted to just make sure that I shook his hand and thanked him um, for everything over the years. And I wanted to put it out publicly that um, I think that he's a great person um, and a great representative of the university. And um, we're really lucky to have him and uh, prayers for, for his wife. Um, if if the, anybody listening out there isn't, uh, isn't aware she has cancer, um, I believe. Yeah, cancer. So yeah, just prayer, cancer. prayers for his wife and his family. Um, and I know that it's taken a toll on him. Um, you could tell after the, the play for K game. That was a, that was a very emotional game. I, went to it and there was a there's a moment where Shauna was on the on the jumbotron for a second there was this this collective moment of everyone stood up and you, you know it, it sounds really cheesy it's like one of those really bad stories where you know and then everyone clapped but no 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 actually everyone got up and, and clapped and you could kind of tell how much that meant to her and if you look down on the floor I'm not I'm not sure if Jeff knew what was going on. I say Jeff, just so I can differentiate between the two of them. I'm not sure if he knew what was going on, but if he did, I'm sure that he appreciated knowing that everyone was behind him. And I know that cancer controversial take cancer sucks. So 
yeah, cancer, cancer is awful. So just show all the support that you can to the MIDI family because they're going to need it. Yep. Be tweet nice things at them. Yeah. And tweet nice things at Bruce also. Please don't, tweet anything. Nice don't things tweet Bruce. anything. I'm no longer asking. Tweet nice things at Bruce. <laughs> and, and don't tweet anything at recruits ever. Ever. Yes. Like no, their not stuff, even, and that's not it. even welcome to the family. Don't even, not even. <laughs> Oops. Don't do that. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Just remember that you're, you're, you're an adult person tweeting at a 17 year old. Anytime you want to tweet at players, just remember they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And don't we, do we are in that, that weird wiggle room where we can do it because we are respectively 21 and 22. Yeah. <laughs> We're in that weird <laughs> middle ground where we can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it. And well, we'll see you in about five seconds on the, the, the episodes. So we can get into the weekly recap, but thank you so much for, coming on Nathan and we hope to probably see you again in a future episode, but certainly in real life. So be back soon. And we're back. Well, we just got back from having our second guest of all time. Hopefully we'll, we'll hit our, well, we're not going to hit our goal of 10. That's not going to happen. We can amend that goal to be five and I'm pretty sure we'll easily get it. Yes. But that's neither here nor there. Welcome to the weekly recap segment of it. And honestly, we're only going to be recapping men's and women's basketball awards and just briefly baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, we don't really have much to say because we covered the result of the men's tournament in the interview with Nathan. But this episode's probably running long enough, so let's just get right into it. Let's start with the men's basketball awards. And for the men, Nigel Pack was first team all Big 12, as well as the most improved Big 12 player, which there was whoever was announcing or commentating the game, the tournament game yesterday, was being stupid. He's like, you can't take it from Christian Brown because KU wins more. It's like, well, you haven't won anything, plus ratio, plus I hate you. I remember seeing on online that the guy's name is uh chris patola yeah chris patola yeah uh i was not able to watch most of the game at least not with, anything at least that was sound and uh yeah i i, I guess i'm glad that i wasn't able to hear most of what was going on because it sounds slander <laughs> it was slander against nigel pack yeah he ended up getting rightfully first team all big 12 after we thought that he was going to get robbed exactly because we <laughs> we thought we didn't win enough but he made it. Yeah, he made it. Good for Nigel. Yeah, first team LB12 and most improved. And I think that there was an argument for other players to be most improved, but I mean, Nigel went from being good last year to great this year. I think that's that's the big difference. And then he definitely, I think he earned his first team spot. Even, yeah, even if the team didn't perform the best, it's first team all Big Twelve, meaning it's the guys that you want on your team, the most. And I would take him over Brown. Yeah, I I, I really like Pack's versatility, and if anything, the like 
KU being as successful as they are, I, I think a lot of that is by virtue of how deep they are as a team. K-State's not a deep team. No. So Pack doing what he's able to do, almost in spite at times. But, I don't know, Pack, I, I, I don't like the argument of Pack not deserving first team because of the alleged lack of team success. So, but great, great honor for Nigel. And I'm sure he's going to start racking up the awards here pretty soon for AP and whatnot. Yeah. Good for Nigel. Yeah. Marquise Noel was all Big 12 defensive team, as well as an honorable mention all Big 12. Then Mark Smith was third team all Big 12, as well as the all newcomer of the year. So congratulations to both Marks, both Marquise and Mark. Yep. Yeah, they, they have both earned their places as well. Marquise was somebody that I was a little worried would not uh, end up on any of the teams, but he gets honorable mention, which I think is probably about where he belongs. And then also uh, the all-defensive team. He was excellent this year defensively. I think still lead in steals. um, He either was first or second in the league in steals, and I think it's the same story for assists. Yeah. He just had a really great season in that regard. And it was just his inconsistency that holds him back from being a third-teamer or second-teamer. But And then the all-Big 12 defense, uh, defensive team, that's, a, again, something I was a little worried he wouldn't get because of his size. Yeah. But, I mean, he had like <laughs> yeah, he had six deals against uh, a TCU at home, I believe. Didn't help in the end, but... Yeah, well... He, um, he definitely earned his spot uh, being a pest on the ball. And um, um, being uh, great at uh, getting steals and just generally being a nuisance on the defensive end. And then Mark, 13, all day 12 is about where he belongs. All newcomer team. Unfortunate that we can only have him for one year. And Brock- Isaiah Brockington deserves the newcomer of the year from Iowa yeah. State. But Mark, getting on the all newcomer team, still I think that's what he deserves. And 13, all day 12, nothing to sniff at. Yeah, absolutely. That's the men's awards going down. But here we have the women's awards. And there are three people in particular who got awards. Two of them, even though they got awarded, I still feel like got robbed. Let's go over, I don't know, order of importance here. So we're going to go off of not importance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the first one was Briley Glenn, who was on the all-freshman team, one of the Glenn twins. Followed, really, that's all you can say there. Yeah. Yeah, that's deserved. Yeah. I I, I agree. I was a little surprised that they I was included, honestly surprised. I, I I figured that for all freshmen they would include either neither of the twins or both, both of the twins. So I was surprised only one split it and gave Riley the wonder if that's gonna be a point of contention. A point of contention between the yeah. twins. I'd wonder if that'll get put right up there with who was born first. That's that's gotta be bulletin board material for Jalen. <laughs> you guys are just pushed up on her door. They probably bunked together. Probably. <laughs> anyway, so congrats to Briley. Next up is Serena Sundell, who... Let, let's go over what she did get before we go over what she didn't. She was all Big 12 honorable mention, as well as being on the all-freshman team, as well as being the only freshman to win Freshman of the Week five times. So... You'd think with all of those in mind, you'd think that she would be the Big 12 Freshman of the Year. You would be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was Rory Harmon of Texas, and almost the only reason that that is the case is because Texas had a very good season. Yeah. 
And I think that's silly. Because we had, we had a decent season. We had a good season, but yeah. like Yeah, but as Serena deserved freshman of the year, I think it's a travesty that she didn't get it. And because I mean she led freshman and I believe scoring and there was multiple other categories. I remember I saw somebody tweet I don't want to like say too many with like while being wrong, but I do know <laughs> that she led in scoring. And there was at least three or four other major statistical categories that Serena Sundell led all conference freshmen in. So I know uh, one of them was assists. Yeah, one of them was assists, which makes sense. She's a point guard. Yeah. And <laughs> Sundell definitely got robbed here. And you know, that's not even saying Rory Harmon's a bad player. It's Rory Harmon's a good player on mm-hmm. a good team. But I think that winning freshman of the week five times, being the only person to do that in the entire league... I, I think that speaks for itself. I mean, honestly, they should just automatically give it to whoever has the most freshman, freshman of the week, week awards. Because <laughs> yeah, you would think that would translate. Maybe I'm missing something there. Maybe we're missing the point, you know? Maybe maybe so. I... But, you know, maybe Chris Patola voted on this. And because Texas won more, that he had to just give the award to the team with that, that one more, I guess. Either that or we can keep rolling with the theory that the people who vote don't actually watch the games. Well, we already knew that. <laughs> so, yeah. But then next up is the big one because it is the big on our team. That is Ayoka Lee or Yoki. She was she's won multiple All American honors from both Sports Illustrated and The Athletic. I imagine whenever AP releases, they'll probably put her on there. I would be shocked if she wasn't All American. Pretty much consensus. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, she's first team Sports Illustrated and The Athletic All American. I. I think it's almost a given she'll be an APL American, but we'll see. Now she was also all Big 12 and all Big 12 defensive team, but she was robbed of player of the year. Not only on the Big 12, but of national player of the year. I don't know if they've named national. Have they named national player of the year yet? I don't think they have. Okay. Well, maybe... That would be a really funny... That'd be another Deuce Vaughn situation. Consensus yeah. All-American, like... <laughs> not as bad, but... Yeah. But, um, but her not being yeah. Big 12 Player of the Year after setting a record, that's a tragedy. Yeah, and I get that the whole thing is that she may have struggled a bit down the stretch, but it was truly just... It was just hack-a-shack, but without the calls, pretty much. Yeah. Which, I mean... It was just kind of pitiful. I just like watching teams just like throw, literally, pretty much just literally throw players at Aoka Lee in the hopes that officials wouldn't call it more often than they wouldn't. And just basically doing the math and saying a surefire like two points would be worse than like sending her to the line, even if she shoots like 75, 80%. So I feel, I feel like she at the very least should have had conference player of the year for that. I get giving it to. I think it was Nelissa Smith ended up winning it at Baylor. But you you would think that setting the all-time record for points in a game would put somebody above. And averaging a double-double. Yeah, you would think that that would do it. But apparently not. Leading the conference in blocks, I that, that is... Yeah, what do irrele- we know? That's irrelevant, I suppose. What do we know? Yeah. Aoka Lee definitely deserved Player of the Year in my eyes. Not to say that... I, again, I think it was Nelson Smith that won it. Uh, still a deserving player and a really great player, but I just think that that's a little disrespectful to Aoka Lee to not give her a player of the year. But you know what? 
Well, like you said, what do, what do I know? I might be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> they also might be stupid. They also might be. I like to believe they are, and I'm right. But... Always. Of course. Anyway, that pretty much wraps up award season. Like I said, we covered everything else that's happened in the last yeah. the last segment. But now let's cover baseball. And we're going to cover this again very shortly. We're literally just going to be covering the scores of the Loyola Marymount as well as the winning and losing pitchers. Loyola Marymount was a series that we had in California. We also got trapped there for a day, <laughs> which yep. delayed the Nebraska game because of the weather. But... For the first game, we ended up shutting, we ended up blanking them. We went 11-0, to and the winning pitcher was Blake Adams. The next game was that Saturday. We won 10-5. The winning pitcher was Connor McCullough. And fine, we couldn't get the sweep, unfortunately. We lost the last game, 7-14, to with Blake Corsentino taking the loss. That was our first series win of the year, which we needed. Yeah, and uh, winning those first two games and securing that dub uh, it was unfortunate that we weren't able to close out the last game. The last game was kind of a blowout as well for uh, Loyola Marymount. But regardless, you still take the series, and I think this team really needed to just see a series win uh, just to help build their confidence. But, you know, they finally got to come back home and finally play a home game Yeah, against Nebraska. And against Nebraska, a game that we kind of fully expected to get waxed. <laughs> yes. But, turns out, we ended up winning this game by a score of 6-4 to four, off the back of two pretty solid pitching performances from Griffin Hassel. But most importantly, Colin Rothermel, the true yeah. freshman. Before we go into the pitching performances, we can go down the line here. Dominic Johnson ended up going 2-for-3 with two walks. Cash Rugely was designated hitting. Didn't do a lot Did, of hitting. Didn't do a lot of hitting. Didn't have a great day. Justin Mitchell went one for two before him being pitch hit and then defensively sub four. Dylan Phillips went one for four with one RBI and a strikeout. Nick Goodwin hit an absolute missile to left field. That was his one hit of the day. He also struck out twice and left four on base. So although he hit that nuclear missile to left field, he still could have done a bit more. But we ended up winning, so it didn't matter. Josh Nikoloff went one for four, but generated two runs on a strikeout. Cole Johnson went one for three with one walk and a strikeout. Orlando Salinas <laughs> had one hit, one RBI. I believe one of those was scored a fear alert's choice because he was bunting. Yeah. And then Kalen Culpepper went 0 for three with a run, an RBI, and a sack fly. So I, I do want to talk about one thing in particular where we had four people in a row bunt and it worked every time because Nebraska's defense was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, their their defense was atrocious. I wasn't able to stay for the full game I left, I think exactly halfway through. They subbed out the shortstop as soon as you left. As they should have because I, I'm, tr- I'm sitting here trying to remember how many errors he had. I don't know if they'll... He had two, but it really should have been three. One wasn't scored an error. Yeah, he had two, and yeah, like you said, another one should have been uh, listed. Uh, but it was it was very tough sledding uh, for the shortstop for uh, uh, for Nebraska. Uh, only ended up having one at bat with the strikeout and a walk. But it was uh, it was really a again it was one big inning for this team. It was the fourth inning, and they added another run in the fifth. But I mean, the fifth inning, you know, they got the, that was the home run, and uh, then just 
bunt. Um, bunt, bunt. <laughs> then, then, then they uh, uh, fumble a throw. No, a third. Uh, mess up a ground out at a short. And and a few fielders' choices send a guy home and then a sack fly uh, in the fifth. Uh, we'll put the sixth run up there, and that was enough. You know, like, and that's not to say that the bats weren't working. They still had eight hits. Yeah. You know, like, even though Nebraska had three errors, you know, this game ended up about how it should have. You know, Nebraska gets six hits, four runs. Cats get eight hits, six runs, even with the three errors from Nebraska. That's about where that would probably end up in a, like a simulation, like where you try to find a perfectly average outcome. Yeah. Like if even if you take out the errors, you know, KSA probably should win this game, at least just looking at the like plain stats of it. But it was also just a pretty solid performance. There were some nice plays made defensively by K-State. Cole Johnson had a great catch in center field. Wasn't that the leadoff? Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was the leadoff. And it, he had to take a uh, a perfect angle on it and it had, it had to have a perfect first step. And it was important that he make that throw, that he make that catch because he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. That would have been an inside the parker if he didn't catch that. <laughs> yes, and he. Uh, Reached out, put his glove up, and made a great catch. And the um, rest of the day was very solid from the K-State defense. Uh, some really great moments. Nick Goodwin had an excellent defensive play to barely gun someone out at first. That one wasn't. That one went to a long review, and we were convinced it was going to get overturned and that yeah. it would be safe, and then they called him out, and I was very surprised. <laughs> but you know what? We take those, and it's Nebraska, so I don't care if they're upset. Yeah, we sat with a bunch of... Well, we sat nearby a bunch of Nebraska fans, and they were... It was like a group of eight or so students that were yeah. sitting with us. We were getting on the Nebraska fans' nerves. Yeah. We were getting on the Nebraska players' nerves. <laughs> Yeah. So we were doing our job as a baseball crowd. Yes. But there's one performance in particular that, and it's a person who got credited with the save, a five-inning save, the rarely seen but highly sought after. Colin Rothermel had one heck of a performance. Now you look at it and you say, oh, he gave up three earned runs. What, what's the big deal? You don't understand that he's a true freshman who pitched longer than the starter did and was left in in high-pressure situations, threw more pitches than the starter did, and was just so ice-cold, even when bad things were happening around him, that he just went in and said, all right, I just gave up a, a big hit, and the left fielder had an error. There's a runner on third now. Oh, well, I guess I can deal with that. Oh, there's runners on first and third. Oh, well, I guess I can deal with that. Colin Rothermel was insanely poised, and... By God, someone on the team heard me because he is a strike thrower rather than a power pitcher. Someone listened, and I'm happy. Yeah, that that was what impressed me most about uh, Colin Rothermel uh, was uh, his poise. That and uh, like you said, he just wasn't a power pitcher. <laughs> like, <laughs> Finally, yeah, but he was phenomenal. He had a great ninth inning after giving up a. Uh, run in the ninth he then just locks down i think he struck out three straight batters as i recall or at the very least all three of his outs were strikeouts all three of his outs were strikeouts but there i think it was one out that there was a rope to left field and dom ended up mishandling it and skipped all the way to the wall runner on third and that's the run that scored nah but rothermel still i mean going five innings as a reliever 
and then getting the save. You know, it's five hits, three earned, a walk, four strikeouts, one wild pitch, and just under 80 pitches at 79. Hassel does get the win. He only went four innings in this with a hit, an earned run, a walk, five strikeouts, uh, and 60 pitches and 14 batters. But, I mean, yeah, the pitching was great. I mean, this is exactly what K-State needs uh, going forward is they they absolutely have to uh, to have quality pitching without going through an ungodly amount of pitchers. Yeah. I mean, keeping it to the starter and then one reliever or starter, reliever, closer, I mean, that's, that's going to be great for preserving the arms down the stretch because the arms have been pretty hit in this thus far. This was Griffin Hassel's first start on the year as well, and it was pretty uh, it was a pretty good start. Mm-hmm. And then Rothschild. Mean he made it in it. Yeah. Yeah, he did, which the bar is low, but he did cross it. <laughs> he didn't trip over it. The yeah. bar is the floor, and he didn't yeah. trip. Yeah, which is, is nice. But the Batcats, I mean, this is a huge win just also in general. Over the uh, preseason pick to win the Big Ten. Granted, Nebraska is having a very slow start to the year, very similar to K-State. They're 4-8 and eight right now. Yeah. But it was, it was a really nice win. For, for K-State over a, a high-quality team that had a really good season last year and brought a lot back. This is the type of confidence-building win that a young team really needs, and that's exactly what this Batcat this Bat team is. Is They're very young, filled with newcomers, not a lot of experience on this team that they can look to other than guys like Dylan Phillips and Terrence Sperlin, but Sperlin's injured right now, so... I mean, most of the lineup is new guys right now. I mean, it's Mitchell's new, Culpepper's new, Salinas is new, uh, Dom Johnson's new, Cole Johnson is relatively new. We saw him a little bit last year, but he's fairly new. Most of the pitchers are new, save for uh, McCullough. And then there's uh, a Rougely as well, yeah. um, who plays a second i believe either first. him or Nik- nikoloff salinas plays first nikoloff is second usually dh i think yeah so regardless game, yeah. regardless there's a lot of new faces in this lineup and cole pepper yeah i forgot to mention cole pepper. i did i did say cool i might be stupid <laughs> i might I, I think i said cole pepper who knows but the, the point that you're making is yeah very amazing young, very young team huge win even if i don't care if nebraska's four and eight because beating a power five school at home that had high hopes in the preseason is huge. And I'm supposed to be their get right game. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And we, we've, we flipped the, we flipped the script on them. And now the Batcats have won three of their last four and are looking to be in a lot better spot. Granted they're four and seven. They have a lot of work to do. They have a series coming up with central Connecticut state where hopefully they can sweep that. At least take two Hopefully. of three. At least take two of three. Don't drop a home series to Central Connecticut State, please. I would really appreciate it if you didn't. Yeah, let's not let this be Eastern Illinois of last year. That was a rough series, but yeah. and that series probably kept us out of the tournament. So yeah, it, it's an important series coming up. But huge win though on a Wednesday evening for the Batcats. Very cold night. It was thirty-eight at first pitch. With a 15 mile per hour wind, so. believe me, you felt it. You felt I could not feel my hands by the end of this game. By the way, everyone left an inning after you, so I was just alone. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> everyone had to go to chapter. Yeah, 
That's tough. That's tough. But, yeah, anything else you want to say? No, just I'm happy with the results, and I hope they can build on it. I am as well. I agree with you. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to reach out to the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthasar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, you can visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.